camera fades in on four friends sitting in a podcast studio. They're putting their headphones on and anxiously anticipating the podcast they're about to start. Camera pans to Mike, who begins to intro the show. Hey everybody, it's First Issue Club, the weekly comic book podcast where each week we hit you with the toppest, bestest, newest issues that we love. This week we're going to cover quite a trio for you. We have Oblivion Song number one from Image's imprint Skybound, Gideon Falls number one, also out on Image Comics, and The Highest House number one from IDW. Medium close-up on Greg Leaktai. <laughs> Who's in the club today? And since we're covering uh, Oblivion Song, we've kind of covered this in a past episode. It's kind of set in a ravaged world where aliens have taken over and it's just really, really terrible. Kind of worse than a zombie apocalypse. So my question is, how quickly would you kill yourself as soon as this <laughs> happened? Um, this is Budget King. If anything even remotely resembled uh, just this world going to shit, I, and I've already said this before, would celebrate everything in my life. I'd buy a big fucking cake, I'd stick my dick in it, and I would just be having a good-ass time. So I would <laughs> never kill myself, because I would be in hog heaven. You know you can do those things now. You can just buy a cake and put your penis in Celebrate it. Celebrate yourself. <laughs> but I'm only going to do that if it's like <laughs> the apocalypse has come. Like we, There's reasons to be carrying around like guns because zombies are going to be <laughs> killing you and shit. And you got to protect you. Then my, then my family truly needs me. <laughs> to fuck a cake. <laughs> <laughs> you can have your cake and fuck it too. Yep. No. Smash cut to Michael. Hi, I'm Mike DeStacy. <laughs> Smash I, cut. <laughs> you don't know what a smash I, cut I'm is? I'm familiar. I, don't know what I a thought smash you went to film is. school or something. <laughs> <laughs> it was in Missouri. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that for me to end my life, things would have to be so, so bad. I think if, like, even if a meteor was coming and I knew it was going to be hellish, I don't think I could end it before that happened. So if this horrible universe I was in was like covered in fire and my skin was boiling, then I would take no time and pop myself off. Otherwise, I'm working through it. Uh, star swipe to Greg Lichtai. <laughs> this would be pretty instantaneous for me. This world that they kind of create so in Oblivion Song. Uh, yeah, this is like just... I, I could probably withstand a zombie apocalypse for sure. <laughs> but not this. Oh. I'm Caitlin Morosik and it would be within minutes, I think, for me. We've already discussed that I'm doing this in pretty much any post-apocalyptic scenario. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just gonna... Sometimes you gotta know when to just give yeah. up. Yeah. <laughs> Cue transitionary music, cross-dissolve, and let's get this podcast started. <laughs> As promised, first up, we got Oblivion Song, number one, on Image Comics. This is by Robert Kirkman and Lorenzo De Felici. All right, so Oblivion Song is a story about a city full of people who seem to have mysteriously vanished into a bizarre parallel universe full of monsters. At least, I think that's what happened. 
what I do know for sure is that a man is, a man is commissioned by the government to kind of dimension hop or jump into this hellscape filled with monsters in order to save Americans, bring them back to normal society. But when those missions start going dry and they're not bringing back people anymore, the government pulls the plug on this project to save Americans from this hellscape called Oblivion. That's where we get the title of the book. The man in charge of this project to go back and forth and save people says, I'm not going to give up. I'm going to keep going, dimension hopping, and I'm going to get every last motherfucker out of there. Got a handful of questions for you guys on this book. One, since this is a Robert Kirkman book, very famous comic book writer, if not maybe the most famous right now. Definitely top ten, top five, wrote top three. Walking Dead. Mm-hmm. If you've seen the show Outcast on Showtime. Yep. I haven't that's, seen it yet. That's based on a Robert Kirkman comic book. Great. Invincibles, a hugely popular comic that just ended that he wrote. Um, he did so well that he is like an owner of Image now. Yeah, this imprint, Skybound, is... His imprint. I think him his imprint. And, man, are the books normally pretty damn good. Yeah, they're usually really great. Um, I think a lot of his books kind of, in my opinion, stand, stand alone on their own merits. This one, however, does this sound familiar? A Robert Kirkman book where there's people in a desolate landscape and humanity is trying to survive on the run from monsters. Was this book a little too similar to Walking Dead for you guys? Is it just Walking Dead with a twist? It it definitely is apocalyptic. I this this comic book was your store has piles of this comic book. Yeah, and they were because they know this is this is a thing. He's promising thirty books. It's going to be his new epic and things like that. So the stakes aren't as high for him. He's Robert Kurtman. He's writing a new book, and like people are going to be in on it. And he goes with apocalyptic stuff. I like, know I, it seems a little bit. Ah, that literally is his namesake. Mm-hmm. I mean, kind of rehashing an old yeah. story. Uh, but maybe you give people something that they're familiar with and they love from you to start, and then it goes somewhere else. He did promise that in the back. Yeah, that's but, why I say it. Yeah. Um. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for bringing that up. I I will say this, you know. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Is that where you got that? <laughs> yeah, um, that's where I pulled that from. Um, I, I did not dislike this book. I just felt like I wasn't getting a bunch of new stuff. The things I did get new were I like the government issuing stuff of like the government's controlling the dimension hopping. Mm-hmm. I think that's really fascinating. We all love a little added bureaucracy. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Books. The Reminds me where, of my life. The part where he's <laughs> trying to get more funding and they're like, well, all of this dimension hopping could cause another transference. And he's just like, science does not support that. Yeah. I don't, was just such a, just so you a don't direct wanna... correlation yeah. right. to some yeah. things happening. A point to that, during that scene where he's getting stiff-armed on money to keep the project going, we find out that he has a brother who's lost in this other dimension, and that's kind of his motive to keep going back. And a lover in the government. And a, he has a lover in the, the yeah. government, an inside man to help mm-hmm. him try to get funding. But that's fallen through. Who knows if he was using that relationship just to try to get funding because he's obsessed with saving his brother. I think we've gotten hinted a little bit that maybe he's kind of a selfish prick. You know, I really thought he was so likable. Did you? Yeah, he's defacing this monument because he wants people to 
I did like to that not, aspect. To not feel like someone has... To to not feel like their government has given up on them. So in he is just what, fighting this losing battle. What, like, Ka- what Caitlin is describing is there's a sen- essentially like a Vietnam memorial that lists all of the dead people that have gone to oblivion. If he brings them back, he literally goes there and chips off like their name, removes them. Um, the idea being when the public sees how many names are chipped off, they're going to say, maybe my loved ones can be scratched off that wall eventually right, too. Right. And that'll kind of rise interest for the public to put pressure on the government to send more people back there. If, if this wasn't a Robert Kirkman book, I, w- I think I'd still have liked the first issue, but I don't know that I would have bought the second one. But I'm going to because it's Robert Kirkman. <laughs> I'm and absolutely going to And I know something cool yeah. is going to happen eventually. <laughs> I don't like that he says, this is going to go crazy places. You're, whatever you expect is not going to happen. Everybody, everybody says uh, that about yeah. the comic. And I'm just like, come on. Like, yeah. Let us decide that. Yeah. And I think we'll get to this with other books and stuff. But the first the first issue is about let me explore the world. Let me make my conclusions mm-hmm. about that. And so to be like, you know, it's almost like this um, cover your ass type of thing where it's like, well, if somebody didn't think crazy shit's going to happen. There is going to be crazy shit. <laughs> well, Trying to get a yeah. buy-in yeah. that News, you didn't news- do in the actual book. Right. <laughs> Newsflash, if you have a book that doesn't have crazy shit in it, you wrote a bad book. Yeah. So go fuck if by, yourself. If by, if by so crazy shit you mean like character development and plot and just like progressing yeah. the story. Yeah. If you, yeah. Oh, oh, if you write a book where it unexpectedly makes a turn, that's called writing a book. Yeah. <laughs> well, then now people are just going to be like looking for that. Right. MeQ Music Transition and Crossfade. Crossfade into Budget King, who's sitting across <laughs> from Mike D. How how long did you teach film at, at a huge premier university? Uh, two and a half years. Two and a half years. Okay. <laughs> My storyboarding lecture wasn't the greatest. I'll say that. <laughs> uh. We got Gideon Falls by Jeff Lemire and Andrea Sorrentino out on Image. This is a number one. Last week we did a Jeff Lemire book. This week we got Jeff Lemire back. This motherfucker did two books this week. He is going at it hard. Prolific. Yeah. In Gideon Falls, we have a book that is simultaneously telling the story of two characters. One is the story of a character who is fastidiously going through uh, a city, a dirty city, and collecting trash that is telling him stories or meaning, and he's um, documenting it, uh, like he's putting it in like a library, like an anthropologist type of thing. And then the second character that we have is a priest who is sent to a town um, to recover from another priest who has mysteriously died. They're interconnected through some world of we don't know of whether or not it is evil or demons or something like that. Uh, it turn- And Gideon Falls is the name of the city where the priest goes into. This, this book has a ton of mystery put into it. Yeah. Um, in, in a lot of different ways. And in fact, when you start to read this book, it kind of seems like it's a post-apocalyptic 
book, mm-hmm. um, and you're following this guy who's like getting this trash and 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 then puts it into his uh, collection, and you keep on reading and you realize like, actually, he just might be crazy, and this might not be that like post-apocalyptic world. We do kind of find out he is like for sure getting some type of messages, right? But that could still be within his head. We don't know. Yeah, I was kind of wondering how clearly you guys thought that that was um, communicated to the reader that these things were really happening or or in someone's head. And there was like a key panel where he's walking away and then this little red nail peeks up and the character turns around and is like, oh, I'm going to need that. Yeah. And he's so far away from it that I'm like, there's a kind of clue in that he's picking up on certain things that he's actually supposed to be picking up. You know what I mean? Like a spider sense? But I will... Right. Have you never convinced yourself to do, like, a little thing where it's like, if I don't step on the crack today, I'm, like, gonna not need surgery? it could just be, like, a weird suspicion that something was there. I thought that panel indicated specifically, like, this is an important thing. He has a type of sight. Yeah, exactly. It's been shown to him. He pivots and turns back and gets that thing. Yeah. I I, I could see that. In, In some ways, this book was... I can't separate it from the story that we get in the back of Jeff Lemire talking about uh, when he created this book. And I so, had the same issue. I, I'm so stuck on his write-up in the back, that little essay. Yeah. We find out this is the first book he's ever kind of written. He started making a short film about this and uh, tried to make it and then came back and forth with it many times. And like He learned a lot of his sketches on this. This book means a lot to him. And has a lot of depth, and so in the same way with the last book that we just covered, uh, there is a huge promise for this book to go a million different places. Uh, it seems like he's written, been writing this book for the course of ten years, maybe more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, which kind of makes it amazing. Uh, I don't know. What do you guys think? The artwork, uh, super loose and very defining of the story. Did you find it confusing ever? It, uh, the artwork reminded me of Tom Goes to the Mayor, an old uh, Adult Swim mm-hmm. television show where it's like they just put like a filter over a real life photo and just had like the filter like pencil sketch it in. Yeah, I could see that. So I, I didn't particularly enjoy the artwork, but the, it didn't I, pull me out of the story. It doesn't do eyes very detailed. <laughs> I loved it. I thought it was, I thought the grittiness of. <laughs> The um, city-dwelling character, Norton, I think was his name, mm-hmm. um, fitted that, you know, storyline so, so well. And then there's, I, I kind of felt like they cleaned up the illustration style a little bit for the pre-story, too. And the con- I thought the contrast to the two were nice. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the artwork in this book. I thought it was great. Yeah. We find out at the end because of this barn, this ominous black dream. barn. Is the barn part of a dream? Mm-hmm. I think for Norton. Uh, I think, yeah. I think for one of them it's part of a dream. I mm-hmm. think it's also reality. For the priest. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. I don't know. Maybe not. So they both see this, the exact same spitting image, black barn, Norton in a vision, the priest in real life. Yeah. The barn is evil and ominous. And I I think Norton thinks the pieces he's collecting yeah. are to build the barn. 
Oh, absolutely. That's what I thought. Which is why he's getting like metal and like mm-hmm. nails, and tiny and nails and little of scraps wood. of wood and metal. Yeah. Um, so, or maybe pieces of the barn. Could be pieces of that the barn that are like you said. It's it maybe a different timeline. Mm-hmm. This may have exploded somewhere, or the church may have been in this area at one time. The evil was scattered across the city. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Ooh. <laughs> Got ourselves a quest. There were so there were a couple scary scary moments in this for me. Especially the last panel. Yeah, the last panel. One thing I loved about this too was the main cover is the city that is in the face of um, Norton. Norton, and so what I thought this was going to be a book that was like kind of cyberpunky, just. That's always my hope when I'm reading a book. Um, <laughs> but it, it looks like a city, like, I don't know. That's like, it may be a robot or something like that. And completely way off. There's nothing to do with what it is because you find out the next cover is going to be the priest and that his face is covered off, uh, is like in an aerial view, um, mowed out in like grass and yeah. stuff. Oh. And so you kind of get what I think you're getting this oh. nod, nod that like th- this, there's, there's stories going on on what you see, but there's also stories going on in their head, and the, and they are equally as important in this book, like what they what they perceive and what they think about, like Norton's world, and then the world Norton exists in are are two equally important things. Mm. I get you, and that was Gideon Falls. Oh, Gideon, as you know, is a biblical term. I didn't know that. Uh, yeah, I thought about this when I saw this title, and I actually looked up Gideon. Online. Tell me what it means. Gideon was a character who took this army of men to like take back some city. I'm not too much of a Bible buff, as you can already <laughs> tell. Take back some city. God said to Gideon, This isn't going to, you have way too many people. This isn't going to Im- impress upon them that God, inter- that I intervened and, you know, restore faith in me when, when you've got like 30,000 people at arms with you. You're, you're going to win like any battle. And so Gideon calls that group down to just 300 men. Mm-hmm. They go on to victory with just those 300. Obviously, di- people look at it as divine intervention with these 300 people taking this huge battle, something that the story 300 is based off of. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, I just knew it was the name of the Bible that's in all the hotel rooms. So, oh, Gideon's Bible, sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Do you know why it's called that? It only has 300 pages. Oh. So, <laughs> no, that's a joke. So my, my thought is on Gideon Falls. <laughs> is, He's very proud of himself. <laughs> Sorry. I was Sorry. making an, <laughs> an important point that will likely not make this podcast. <laughs> Sorry, uh, my thought is on Gideon Falls is that these men, or maybe the priest in particular, is supposed to save or shepherd this small town or small group of people or whatever, oh. and fails. Okay. That makes sense to me. Great book. It, I would, uh, Jeff Lemire is, in some ways I would title this podcast, Jeff Lemire saved, me. Jeff Lemire is the person who brought me back into comic books if you were a person who liked comic books when you were a kid. That's such a good title for a podcast. <laughs> we blew it. Yeah, we did blew it. Um, 
<laughs> we, we certainly did. If we made a uh, We Did Blew It t-shirt. <laughs> we did blew it. We blew. You think people would buy it? We did blew it. Uh, yeah, I think people people would buy any fucking t-shirt that we make. Like, oh, if we if we had wow. if we not hubris bold claims. Yeah, we should have a um, shirt that says "This is my comic book reading t-shirt," <laughs> and also my napkin. <laughs> <laughs> those hands dry before you turn those sweet sweet pages. <laughs> That's me turning pages. You ever seen anybody wear gloves while reading a comic book? No. No. Um, I found a Reddit thread once that was like, what kind of gloves do you guys wear when you're reading comics? And it was the whole thread of people being really serious about it. What? It's because those people resell Why wouldn't they just buy two comics? You totally should just pull two comics. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. They don't need to have fucking gloves. Yeah. (laughs) You just buy one to read. I do that a lot, actually. They're they're frugal and careful. There you Mm -hmm. go. Yeah. A long shot. Uh, We're going to dolly this motherfucker in uh, to... uh, me saying that's it for Gideon Falls <laughs> uh-huh. well uh. pan okay. left to Caitlin Morosik now we have the highest house out on IDW words and art by Carrie and Gross so the highest house is a It's a beautiful book that has really intricate art, and it introduces you to this land where the haves and the have-nots are rooted in mythology and history of these rulers, these gods and goddesses, servants, and masters. Moth is our main character. He's a small boy who I think has consumption, it's discovered, and he is sold as a slave to this magister, his mother hopes in efforts to better feed and care for her other children and and kind of ensure that he will be cared for as well just by someone else. Um, this magister that he is sold to is a pretty powerful dude. He may or may not be able to wield magic. Um, he denies it, but he he does a couple things, kills a couple guys, <laughs> and he just seems or to be pretty... Or he makes them kill themselves. Yes, ma- yes, yeah. So he's got some sort of influence. Um the book's story seems to be unfolding in a pretty straightforward way until toward the end when Moth starts hearing a voice. I don't know if that did, did you guys take that as him hearing a voice in his head or that something was speaking to him in the house? Well, I think house? We, we know something is magical about Moth and we yes. don't know what, so we're kind of waiting for it. Yes. So when I saw that, I was like, okay. He's divinely inspired or something. I don't yeah. really know. Yeah, it's like an yeah. Obi-Wan Kenobi moment. Which I totally. Think. I thought Star Wars the whole time really? I was reading this, that this is this kid's Luke Skywalker story. Oh. Hmm. Yeah. That's, I totally get that now. Yeah. Uh, well, it seems like the Magister has singled him out um, because of that kind of assumption about something mm-hmm. being special about him. And he's, like, teaching him certain things. I thought it was weird, though, that he, like, is sort of grooming him and then telling him where he's going to go and telling him the story about the highest house. And then he just kind of leaves him. Yeah. I I loved that. that. Yeah. Yeah. Here, just be picked up and assigned to a task. It's your job now. You're a roofer. He's now a roofer. Go be a peg healer. A handful of things about the highest house for any readers um, that pick this up. One, it's an oversized book, so it looks like a magazine, um, which is... What's the first thing you think 
when you see a book that's two inches wider and two inches taller sitting on the comic book stands <laughs> next to some uh, normal-sized comics? I think, thank God I have a magazine box. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's, I wish I had one. Same. Um, I don't buy these just because I've got nowhere to put it. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't fit anywhere. Yeah. It is annoying. Uh, Why make a book this size? They so, were talking about how annoying it was to sell them to when we what, picked yeah. up the comic book shop. Yeah, <laughs> they shrink wrapped mine. Did they really? Did they really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I could tell they had like recently ironed it too. Huh. Mm. This is a tag team that have pre- previously done a very coveted book series called Unwritten. I believe this book is has already finished in France, and we are getting the translated version of it in three issues. Uh, back through IDW. So Which the, is kind of disappointing because it's not going to be very long. Right. The story that we get. But this comic is is very long in that it took me about 30, almost 40 minutes to read through. It was long, yeah, longer than average. Um, and it's worth kind of diving into, into it. Um, we read a lot, of, and I said this before, the comic book, I think I said this to somebody, this to me is the type of comic book that is made for this comic book podcast because we really dive into like literary themes and issues and ideas and stuff in some ways I kind of feel like we sometimes make comic book recommendations to like high school lit uh, teachers if (laughs) they would like you know assign some comic book readings and this would be one that I would totally could see them assigning there's like this weird David Copperfield kind of like feel to it of (laughs) like kind of like a coming of age story overlaid with this, like, uh, Luke Skywalker story, and then just also just kind of nuttiness going on, and really, like, we don't know the world, but it has rules that we're going to learn about. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It was beautiful. So this feels like a graphic novel. Like, if you were a fan of something, like, if you got into comics through graphic novels, a la Mouse, Blankets, Habibi, uh, I think unwritten might be a way that people get into comics. Mm-hmm. This is going to be a comic that actually I think is going to be beautiful in graphic novel form. Um, we're doing it in monthlies, uh, and I couldn't be more excited about this. I'm like, I I love it. Um, so it's it's going to be a fun little told journey. I couldn't tell if the magistrate was a good guy or a bad guy. Do we, we really go into that? I think yeah. that's that's got to be how you read it, though. Is both. Yeah, he's a slaver. Yeah, so, so he can't be great. all great. Yeah, <laughs> not that good of a person. Uh, but he's what did he do good though? Let's be honest. He killed a bunch of people. Mm-hmm. He protected his slaves. Nah, that's not really that great. His Kinda. property, Kinda. like it's like yeah. they were gold, and he let right. one die and didn't care. And then he let his most coveted slave get taken by a roofer and almost a perv <laughs> that pees in public. And the roof, the roofing lady seemed almost too relaxed. Uh, she just is so, like, honed in on roofing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She was like, hey, buddy. Yeah, you get over here and you roof. Yeah, we're friends. I'll teach you about well, roofing. Let me, show you, every, the, let me every... show you the ropes. It's like a dance. Right. You know, <laughs> there's one thing you need to know about tiling. It's like a dance. Like a I dance. will say every roofing job I've held, that's the, that's the same trope that my boss has also held. They're just so into roofing, they can't stop. <laughs> Talking about it? Yeah. <laughs> So this this hit the nail on the head on roofers. It's like the seven dwarves up there just (laughs) roofing away, whistling. I did. I was like, I read this really early this morning, and I was like, kind of feeling sleepy, and I was like, oh, I could, I could roof. I was thinking like, (laughs) if I if I had to roof, I would 
I have a really good idea of how to do it now. <laughs> yeah, that's, I mean, <laughs> I have now been taught how to roof. Yeah, that's norm- I normally learn things through comics like that. Yeah, I think that's where the comic really succeeds in what it's trying to do, which is inspire the world to roof. <laughs> <laughs> Next issue, they teach you how to lay I'd a like foundation to teach the for a world house. To roof. Yeah, this if is written I by Bob Vila. Teach the world to roof. <laughs> I'd roof a thousand homes. <laughs> that's how you get nerds into like DIY and like home repair. Yeah. Just, like, make a funny comic about, like, fixing your plumbing <laughs> or <laughs> changing out a circuit breaker. Every book, it just gets more and more tutorial. Yeah, right. that'd be incredible. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> is, that, that whole concept is why Guitar Hero bugs me so much. Because it's so close to tricking kids into learning an actual skill. But it's still <laughs> completely useless. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. To bl- I know how to play guitar. There's and then they hand you a real guitar, and you're like, "What the fuck is this? Zero, this isn't a guitar." There's zero function in it. You're yeah. not a better problem solver. And that's, that this in education, there's this huge like gamify things, uh-huh. and I think it's fucking bullshit because math is just boring, and like <laughs> history is boring, yeah. and like all that stuff is just. I'm I'm sorry, it's boring. So yeah. don't keep keep my video games where my video games belong. Keep my games, <laughs> keep my boring ass class shit where boring ass class shit. <laughs> don't belong. try to mix my world. Yeah, don't don't try to uh, oh captain my captain this son of a bitch. Oh man, <laughs> there is a really short window in kids' lives where you can like maybe fool them into learning, then having learning be like fun. Yeah, like the more math problems you solve quicker, the more this tower is gonna build. Yeah, they're, yeah. Number munchers. Yep. Uh, yeah, those sorts of things. Yeah. Organ trail. That's how I learned about dysentery. That's all I uh, ever learned about that What was the one with game. the dog? The dog that had the... Um, it's... You had the... The rapper, the rapper? You had the to keep... The... Yeah, you had to keep solving math problems to make sure you didn't have to put your dog down. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, I lost weight on DDR. Did you really? See, yeah. There you go. That's a good one. So, yeah. So this some... And DDR will teach you how to make friends. Not the cooperation. Not, not, not the kind of friends you want. God. No. It, wait. Yeah. It would. It would make you make great friends. I think. Um, if you are reading comic books into your thirties, though, you probably weren't great at school. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I wasn't. Because you, I was. I was a total. Were you good at school? Nerd. Yes. Mm. School wasn't for me. I had a um, philosophy class once, and one of the kids gave a speech on um no oh shit it wasn't philosophy <laughs> <laughs> well it seems so like we know that mike's bad at school let me, really let me, start, let me start let me start this whole thing over again <laughs> okay. i had a psychology class once and one kid gave a, gave a presentation on video games as a form of learning and how he spent all these hours on games and he was a better problem solver yeah. and all had all these like life skills i've heard that of it. before yeah and after he was done, my teacher was just like, wonderful presentation. I just want to tell everybody that the intellectual value that you gain from video games, from the studies I've read and from what I've seen, is that it's extremely minimal and not worth your time. Couldn't agree more. And and, and like ended, ended it on down. that. I know. I was just like, oh, man. And that guy just got up in front of everybody and admitted he spends like shit tons of time playing video games like almost most of his personal life and uh she was just like you think it's for something it's for nothing but here and here's my thing with that though it is like don't 
try to tell me eating a donut's good for me. Like, when I play video games, and I play, might play a shit ton of them, I'm not going to try to fake it and be like, I did something this weekend. Yeah, totally. No, I didn't do anything this weekend, uh, but I fucking enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah. definitely. So, I beat the boss. Yeah. That's what it is. <laughs> so, I'm there on that. Don't tell me my comic book is a Bob Vila DIY. <laughs> <laughs> I wish it build was, that, but... Build a roof. Okay. Yeah. Anyway. Now get, we can roll credits. Yeah. Roll your credits. Get yourself a copy of Highest House, Gideon Falls, and Oblivion Song. We had a great, great, great week of comic books. There's a lot of number ones that came out this week that we didn't get to cover that I wish we would have been able to cover. But that's just the life in the fast lane of First Issue Club when you only cover first issues and there's a fucking ton of first issues coming out. <laughs> that's good that's good I felt oh. that um, punch oh them my. yeah <laughs> you got, got me so jazzed <laughs> in this movie in the cinematic version of First Issue Club that you are watching today with your ears yeah with your <laughs> eyeballs that you place into your ears you're seeing the credits roll but you're hearing the goodness you're, you're wondering what's gonna happen what, what grip is gonna be listed and those grips and those uh, sound effects people are uh, well, one is KCR Studios, where we're recorded in. Another one is, help me out, guys. Uh, well, the soundtrack was done by uh, Primary Color Music. Oh, yeah. I like that credit. And then um, most of the uh, supporters from the Kickstarter are uh, <laughs> our Twitter, which is First Issue Club, <laughs> and our Facebook, and uh, Gmail, and Instagram. Also, First Issue Fish. 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 Stroke. Another stroke. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Which is also First Issue Club, F-I-R-S-T. Um, another credit would be... Um, We're produced and edited by Matthew Honap. Yeah, yep. yep. He was the uh, executive producer. Yeah, and uh, we're <laughs> on the uh, Fountain City Frequency family of podcasts. Yep, that was um, another producer. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, any more producers? Uh, my um, Special contribution by... Kathy Smith, who brought in, who mailed us cookies. <laughs> who mailed us oh, fucking yes. cookies. Kathy Smith, producer of this show, for <laughs> this episode at least. That's yes. why we're all hopped up on sugar right now. <laughs> Special producer. And I do, I have to apologize, my mail system is terrible and I got Valentine's Day cookies this week. But they were still great. Um, mm-hmm. Which she did not share with us, Kathy. Which is what you did. I ate them all. Yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, some, some people might work at them, too. Son of a bitch! <laughs> they were great. <laughs> I didn't eat lunch one day because I had five cookies. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> the spoils of war, and we didn't even get any. Yeah, you guys should work at the place where you record the podcast. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> I mean, um, I'm just going to give Kathy my direct home address so she can mail me stuff. I love that she found our address based on us just saying KCR Studios, uh, too. Man. She's great. She's yeah. such a great... Thank you, anybody who listens to this podcast. Thank you, especially if you're sending us cookies or anything. Uh, let us know if we messed something up. We said something stupid. We said something you liked. Always talk to us. We love to talk back. This is what we do that we love. Um, it's that time again to say things where we close out. I think, right? Yeah, this would be the stinger of the show. The stinger. What's the stinger? stinger? Like a you know, kind of the beats on the very end of it. It's the last point. Oh, like, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> last point of a movie. Oh, okay. Boom. Which is often the first frame of the movie. Huh? The mm. last frame of a movie is often the first frame of a movie. Is that how the artist that makes a movie? Yeah, that's how artists make movies. <laughs> oh my gosh. And so uh, this is my closing. I'm. 
just uh, Matt, if you could just cut in what I said at the beginning, the first line <laughs> oh that I gosh. said, and just insert it right here. I want that to be like my cinematic kind of like a uh, what do they call that? Uh, it's like a it's a cool word. I'm just gonna leave you hanging here. Mm-hmm. Um, what's like a French word? Uh, verite. <laughs> <laughs> does, that, does, that, does that mean green? Yes. <laughs> Medium close up on Greg Lichtai. That's it. <laughs> Uh, this is Greg Lichtai signing off. This is Caitlin Rossick, and I'll show myself out. I'm Mike DeStacey, and at the beginning of this podcast, I was covered in chains, and everybody was trying to keep me down and repress my spirit. But here I am at the end of it, and I've said my piece, and I've broken those chains very successfully. And here I am, and all of my personality is on display, and uh, I'm, I'm happy for it. I'm happy for that. Being unleashed. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>